What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Darius Dale is the founder and CEO of 42 Macro, the leading macro risk management advisor. In this conversation, we talk about what's going on in the macro economy, what's happening in the financial markets, how Darius is looking at various metrics, and also what you at home should be thinking about as you invest your capital. I really enjoyed this conversation with Darius, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Exodus, the world's leading desktop, mobile, and hardware crypto wallet. They offer beautiful, user-friendly blockchain products that sync across all of your devices, making it easier to send, receive, and exchange over 150 or more crypto assets in one place. And with world-class customer service available to you 24-7, Exodus always has your back. But the fun doesn't stop with staking and trading. They recently launched a new NFT marketplace where you can buy and sell your favorite NFTs on the Solana network. By partnering with the popular NFT platform Magic Eden, they're offering the full Monty on verified collections, with more added every single day. Ready to check it out for yourself? Run, don't walk, over to exodus.com slash pomp for your free download today. Again, if you want the world's leading desktop, mobile, and hardware crypto wallet, go to exodus.com slash pomp today. Today's episode is sponsored by Abra. They're based in California, and they're backed by top VC firms. Abra is an all-in-one, simple, secure app that allows you to trade over 110 cryptocurrencies, get 0% interest loans using your crypto as collateral, and earn interest with up to 13% APY on stablecoins and 7.15% APY on Bitcoin. You can join nearly 2 million users by downloading Abra from the Google Play or Apple App Store. If you download the app today, you will get $15 in free crypto once you fund your account. You came, you invested, now conquer. Abra, conquer crypto. Go check it out today. This episode is brought to you by DeFi Technologies. DeFi Technologies represents what's next in the digital economy. They're providing simplified, trusted access to crypto, decentralized finance, and Web3 investment opportunities. Institutions and investors can gain diversified, secure, compliant, and easily tradable access to a diversified set of industry-leading equity products and protocols through a single stock purchase on a regulated exchange. DeFi Technologies is currently listed on the U.S. exchange at DEFTF stock ticker and the Canadian NEO exchange at DEFI. For more information or to subscribe to receive company updates and financial information, visit their website at DeFi.tech. I'm really excited about what these guys are doing. I've become an advisor to the business, and I highly suggest you go check them out. Go to their website at defi.tech today. All right, let's get in this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right. We have Darius in studio today. Darius, how are you doing? I'm wonderful, Joe. What's up, man? How you doing? Good. <laughs> Thanks for coming in, man. Are you still in Miami? Yeah, I'll be in Miami until uh, till May, till May. Oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> long, long term. Last time you were in studio, I thought, uh, were you here last week or no? Yeah, last week. Oh, you yeah. came in studio. Where were you last week? You were that, traveling that, around the that, world, dude. See, I was talking shit earlier. Like, <laughs> like no one tells me things. But the, uh, little did I know that you were actually here last week and I uh, I was gone. Uh, I was in Tanzania. Tanzania? What yeah, the hell is in Tanzania? In, uh, I was climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. Did you, did you summit it? Summited, wow, yes. congratulations, man. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, and I was with, you know who Chris Long is? The NFL yeah, player? Oh, yeah. 
so we were with his, I was with his uh, charity organization, his foundation, and we were raising money to install water wells. Oh, dude, that's awesome, man. Good yeah. for you, man. So we, uh, it was a group of me and 10 other people. We raised about $140,000. Uh, we went and saw a bunch of sites some villages some schools and, and saw what the wells did and it'll pay for uh, two to three wells. So, Dude, that is awesome, man. Really good for good you. Good trip, man. Yeah, it was uh, 10 to 12 days, but happy to be back here in Miami now. Oh, of course, man. Look, dude, give back. Pay it forward. There's only, that's the most important thing we can do as human beings. It's fun, man. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get to it. What is going on? Look, first off, let's just get your view of, I was gone, right? Yeah. So <laughs> I came back, I came down the mountain and they're like, yo, you, Russia invaded Ukraine. Yeah. The <laughs> yo, yo, like, oh, World War Three started, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh shit. I had no idea this, like my phone was off. I'm like, all right, cool. Uh, Let's talk about that first. So what is going on when it comes to the U.S.'s role in this from a financial perspective, right? When it comes to Jerome Powell, everything that's happening in the market, like how should people think about the U.S.'s role in what's happening in Russia and Ukraine? Yeah, so the U.S. is definitely asserting its dominance in terms of, you know, being the the global reserve currency and, you know, kind of the world's largest military and kind of pressing their thumb on top of, you know, a couple of really key organizations. If you think about NATO and you think about SWIFT, which is the kind of bank messaging platform that everyone trades and settles finance with. And so, you know, kind of being the kind of lead dog there, you know, they can put that influence over the whole world and say, hey, look, we're effectively going to iron curtain, put iron curtain around Russia, the Russian economy, Russian oligarchs, you know, Putin himself in terms of his assets and making it very difficult, make it very painful uh, for them to continue what they're doing. Obviously, Putin is is, is pretty uh, pretty resolute in, um, in in his in his game plan here. But the reality is, the Russian economy is, is is going to suffer tremendously as a function of this if it's not already suffering. And how much of a role does that play? Do you do you believe? Right, you're not a war strategist by any means. I don't no, believe. Uh, but when it comes to the financial implications, right, I think part of this is like let's cause some harm without dropping troops off and starting to go to war ourselves from a financial perspective. How does this play out? Does does Russia renege on this pretty quickly and say, hey, look, this is much worse than we expected. We weren't able to move as quickly as we thought we could from a military perspective. Our citizens are really hurting financially now. We're cut off from the world. Just talk me through kind of how you see that playing out. Yeah, so there's a lot. That's a loaded question. I'll, yeah. I'll do my best to kind of summarize the different aspects of it. But, you know, so let's start by saying Putin is a psychopath. It's pretty clear. <laughs> and I don't mean that like as a joke. I mean, like if you look at any sort of like study of psychopathy, like he very much checks all the boxes. I know a few people who check all those boxes. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so um, you could say John's name. No. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Definitely not John. Definitely not John. Uh, uh, anyway, so my, my point is, you know, he Putin's not going to feel any remorse, no matter how bad it gets for the Russian economy or the Russian people. So you know, his military objectives are his primary objective, right? And, and you know, kind of showing that force. And so we have to carry on. Okay, if this continues and these guys continue to go, it's very likely that the Ukraine eventually loses whatever you know resistance that they're putting up. You know, just a matter of time, not a matter of, of if. Um, and so in that regard, you know, as long as you know Russia is occupying Ukraine, which could be indefinitely, right? You, they're not particularly popular in Ukraine. It's not like they're liberating a bunch of Russians. They're actually pissing off a bunch of Ukrainians. And so as long as they're occupying Ukraine, you could expect to have Russia sort of cut off from global financial markets for an extended period of time. And so what does that do? You think about the second and third order effects, right? You know, you've already seen the price action in Bitcoin. Was that yesterday or two days ago where stocks were down and, and Bitcoin was up a tremendous amount? Um, you know, you're going to see, you know, assets like that become sources of, 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 of liquidity for, for you know, Russians, um, both citizens and, and people who are politically connected to Putin. And then there's also the third order effect of, you know, kicking Russia out of these indices, you know, kicking Russia out of, you know, basically the global economy, you know, really sort of kind of rejiggers the entire puzzle, if you will, in terms of the weightings for other countries and indices, the, 
you know, the weightings for other countries in terms of the supplies of good commodities and goods, you know, so it kind of puts a lot of, you know, costly friction on top of the global economy and on top of global financial markets at a very kind of awkward time, right? And how do you think, uh, so there's been a lot that's happening, obviously, from from companies, products, all this stuff kind of moving out and removing themselves from circulation in Russia, mm-hmm. saying we're not going to sell goods, services there, we're not going to uh, do those things. But when it comes to the U.S. dollar specifically, right, mm-hmm. as the global reserve currency of the world, how does this work in Russia if they actually get cut off? Yeah, I mean, so you can, they're, they're effectively cut off now, right? Like yeah. it's, it's you know, they're not, mo- all of Russia's major banks, I think, but maybe the lone exception of, of one bank or something like that are effectively cut off from SWIFT. So that means, I mean, their assets are frozen. And so if they try to, you know, ex- you know if they, I mean, it, they're, 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 they're bankrupt. There's no other way to describe it. I mean, you know, if you can't meet your liquidity and your daily financing needs, particularly as a bank, obviously in a fractional reserve banking system, you're, you're bankrupt. So that's an issue. Obviously, you're going to see runs on Russian banks, but it doesn't really matter. Like what? There's no like what the what what even is a Russian bank if it's cut off from SWIFT? What even is a bank if it's cut off from SWIFT? Right. So like, I think you know this is this is the key takeaway. It's like they can inflict a, a tremendous amount of force upon Russia, like the Western society, Western world, U.S., NATO, all those all those societies, without ever actually you know firing a gun or shooting a missile. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And we're, we're early in this process. I mean, as long as Russia remains cut off from global dollar financing and is not having that materially replaced, because it's not clear that China, President Xi, is really on board with what's happening right now. And as long as China is not really offsetting that to a tremendous degree, the Russian economy is going to shrink and continue to shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink. And is this something where you think that they'll eventually turn to a digital asset like Bitcoin, or you think that they'll uh, eventually try to make their own currency digitally or something else like that? Yeah. They, so they have their own um, version of SWIFT, right? Russia started yeah. working on that a, f- uh, a few years ago. Um, it, it's, it's the Russian version of SWIFT, so you can imagine. <laughs> yeah. It's not exactly what you want. I mean, it's you think not, about not like, the same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you have like the, the iPhone that's made in Taiwan, and then there's the knockoff iPhone made in, in Russia, and I'm guessing it's a little bit worse. Uh, <laughs> Touchscreen doesn't work. Like, <laughs> and so that's exactly what's happening, right? Like there's, you know, there are, I want to say it's something like 400 or something financial institutions that are on that, but none of the major ones, none of the, the ones you, you need to, to do business with if you're trying to do global international markets. I mean, Russia was the world's 11th largest economy before this started. Yeah. You know, so this is a major, you know, it's a major blow to the global economy, but it's not as big of a deal to the global economy to lose Russia as it is for Russia to lose the global economy. Now, I say that to say this, like clearly there's an, uh, a, an issue here with respect to energy prices. You know, one analysis I was doing, I, I sent your brothers some charts. I'm not sure if you guys have them or not. But um, the, the one, when you look at energy price spikes, you know, historically, you know, and how we sort of how I measure energy price spikes is sort of you can look at the, the speed of the change in price. Right. Like um, and so kind of like the the class, the, what tends to line up best with the, with having impact on the economy in terms of perpetuating recessions or perpetuating big drawdowns in the equity market. Um, anytime you look at a two energy price spike over, you know, hundred percent on a two year basis, like, so, you know, you tend to get some economic slowdown or recession or big drawdown in the equity market. And we're already over that, but more importantly, we're about to um, hit the two year anniversary of the negative energy price for March of 2020. Right. Mm-hmm. And so not only are we going to be like up, you know, hundred and some percent, but we're going to be like up you know, maybe several hundred percent, you know, from that particular low, obviously that's a, a short-term trading low, but you know, this is, um, I say all that to say this, which is, look, we were already in an environment where growth was trending lower. Now it's bouncing now. Again, I've talked about this at, at nauseum, so I don't need to bring it up here, but it's bouncing now, but the trend is lower in growth. And it's very likely that the trend is lower 
to a place that's below below trend, below below our potential growth rate, just as a function of all the tightening we've seen in the economy already from monetary policy in terms of rates repricing, already from fiscal policy in terms of not you know uh, you know uh, getting the Build Back Better program passed and basically returning back to our normal uh, fiscal state. So this is a, an economy that is already weak and is about to get its knees chopped off, right? Yeah. As a function of, of this crude oil energy price spike. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it because when you look at what was expected this year, right? I think we all saw that maybe six, seven rate hikes were expected at some point. Uh, Jerome Powell spoke yesterday and said that instead of a, a, a 50 basis point or a half a point hike, now they're going to think about a, he's going to recommend a quarter of a point hike or a 25 basis point hike. How difficult does what's going on in Russia and Ukraine make Jerome Powell's job now? Or is oh. it kind of separate in your mind? Dude, I, he has the worst job in the world. <laughs> it's like, so like if you, and he's getting grilled by the senators today too. Yeah. Like, and, and like on one hand, you have the sort of, he's trying to sort of promote like, hey, look, this is what we did. This is why we maintain such easy policy. We have wage growth at a 20 year high. We have unemployment rate, you know, back down at our long run projections, da, 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 da. And then all the Republican senators are like, dude, but like I have families in South Carolina, I have families in Pennsylvania who can't afford, you know, heating bills or put gas in their car and food in their tables or can't afford their medicine, their prescriptions and things like that. Like, you know, like there's a real pr- challenge and a real crisis of inflation in the country right now. And, and obviously that made him uncomfortable. And he effectively was forced to say, hey, look, we, we ha- we're going to prioritize inflation more so than those things that I just highlighted, which is all the, the fun stuff. And this is why the market's um, not not appreciating that now, because the reality is, look, we're I, I said this yesterday on Real Vision, which is the inflation it's not, it, we all know as economists that inflation is going to come down on a year over year rate of change basis in 2022. It's because we were, you know, uh, you can't up. compound yeah. that for multiple Exactly. We're comping against, you know, very, um, very <laughs> elevated rates of inflation. The problem is not the year over year rate of change of inflation. It has nothing to do with anything the Fed's considering or the financial markets are considering. What matters is the momentum in inflation. And the problem is we're actually building momentum in inflation, not losing it, which means that wherever we bottom in, in terms of this year over year, this mechanical process of, of accumulating base effects, you know, increases in base effects, we're going to bottom at a much higher level that's very uncomfortable and significantly higher than the Fed's mandate so long as this, this momentum continues. I mean, a couple stats on that. Median Fed or the median CPI, which is median CPI for everything in the consumer price uh, index basket, is accelerating at a 7.1% annualized pace in January. That's the highest number we've seen of all time. And then sticky CPI, so stuff that doesn't fluctuate very much, uh, that number is accelerating at a 7.5% annualized pace. That's the fastest rate we've seen since in 30 years. So like, they not only do they need to do something to get inflation down back to their target, but they need to do something to stop the buildup of inflation. They haven't even stopped the buildup of inflation, which is something I think people are missing as it relates to the kind of next three to six months of Fed policy. Yeah. What do you got, John? Yeah, it looks like Russia has been planning this almost. It looks like China is not really on board, but they were growing their gold and their Mm -hmm. reserves. So as an investor, like it looks like this is affecting the U.S. markets. The U.S. markets have been pretty volatile in the last week or so. Uh, But are people already have have people already priced like the rate hike in enough and like kind of the uncertainty that's going on right now uh, globally? Like it it affects because CPI will go up, um, gas and energy will go up. But the overall like technology company, how much will they really lose? And like as an investor, should you be nervous about that right now? Yeah, great question. So this has less to do with sort of company fundamentals and more to do with the ecosystem that is the global financial markets, right? And so, you know, tightening liquidity, all else, all things being equal, 
will reduce asset market valuations, you know, in, in particularly in risk assets and, and, you know, things that you have to take credit risk or duration risk, any sort of risk, uh, liquidity risk um, to, 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 to take advantage of. And so, you know, something like a Russia, Ukraine, you know, in an environment where growth is trending lower is something that can have a, you know, real deleterious and potentially meaningful impact on that ecosystem because the sort of foundational principle of growth slowing is an issue, right? If we were doing this in like, the summer of 2020 or even, you know, first half of 2021, it would have been absorbed. It would have been a few headlines, a few weeks of headlines, but then it would fade to the background because we're all high-fiving each other about how good corporate profits are and how robust GDP growth is and how good the labor market is. The problem is we're on the backside of those sign curves. And, you know, in terms of how our brains are wired to think, you know, Danny Kahneman, Amos Tversky has done a tremendous amount of work on this um, with respect to prospect theory, but our brains are effectively wired to, 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 to think in rate of change terms. And to think it relative to 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 the outcomes as opposed to what the actual outcome is, and so we're we're just in a bad point in the broader growth, inflation, policy valuation, positioning cycles for this not to be a problem, and that that's the that was a real issue, John. That makes a lot of sense. And then, yeah. what do you think about Jerome Powell's comments about two global reserve currencies and the oh. possibility of them coexisting? Oh, uh, I didn't see that, but to me that sounds more like heresy. That you, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and it's not to say that I have a view on that or disagree with it. It's just to say that, again, the U.S., and this is my, my foundational view for a really long period of time, which is the U.S. has the biggest guns and the biggest military and the highest sort of incentive structure associated with maintaining the status quo in terms of the global reserve currency system. So you can expect a nuclear war before we... Give, get rid of that 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 status. Get rid. Give that 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 exorbitant privilege up. That that's Mark Darius Dell said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are are you concerned about uh, the nuclear side when it comes to what's going on now? Do you think that's made the main reason why the U.S. and other strong countries have stayed out of kind of dropping troops off and doing these things is because Russia's vast nuclear weapons? Yes. Um, Putin again. Putin is a psychopath. He's a thug, and yeah. I, I think you know when thugs get pushed. You know, their image becomes the most important um, aspect of what it is that they're doing, right? It's not about the sort of thoughtful calculation of is this the right choice? Is this going to have consequences or not? It's more about I have to portray this image as a tough guy. I have to portray whatever la- you know legacy view or legacy um, image that I've, I've already put out there. And so to me, that heightens the chance that we do have some sort of nuclear conflict. Now, is that probability more than 10%? Probably not. You know, again, like I said, it's, it's very unlikely that Ukraine can hold off Russian forces, Russian forces of, you know, that magnitude for an extended period of time. You know, they're having a, a trouble because they miscalculated on how much resistance they were going to initially get, right? You know, you got, they got popped in the mouth a little bit. Um, it's like trying to, you know, tackle the little guy and it's like, oh no, the little guy no, can smack, you know? They're stealing your tanks <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Yeah. John, John saw they were selling them on eBay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're trying to sell them on he eBay. He said 400 grand, you can have it. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, I think it was like uh, <laughs> Ukraine or someone might've said, like, if you sell it, you don't have to pay capital gains tax. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So, so they're incentivizing people to uh, to take and steal the tanks, which is funny. Yeah, no, they, they should. I mean, but look, at the end of the day, so uh, summarizing what I was trying to say, which is, look, I think Putin will use whatever force is necessary because his image is at stake now. His tough guy image is at stake. It has less to do with what's happening in Ukraine and how much they need to take over Ukraine. I think he's willing to do whatever's necessary. Will he need to do whatever's necessary? Most likely not. They're going to, you know, it's probably a matter of days or weeks before they ultimately succeed in this in this mission. But the problem is, what does success look like on the back end? You know, what is, you know, are you going to occupy Ukraine indefinitely? 
that's a that's a tall order. I mean, we had a, a very difficult time occupying Iraq and you know, kind of keeping boots on the ground in Afghanistan with very little to no success. I mean, hey, actually, sorry, I wouldn't say no success, but you saw the second we pulled out of Afghanistan yeah, yeah. how unsuccessful that Under was. Two weeks, it was Within, already. It was like two days. How it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so, the reality is, it's it's this was just a bad choice by Putin in terms of trying to take advantage of a real weak in in um. Of a real, you know, pernicious time in the global financial structure, right? Like we have already high inflation. We already got policy tightening coming ahead of this. Financial markets are volatile. Economic growth is trending lower. You know, there's, you know, talk of recession and by the back end of the year, beginning of next year, which by the way, I think I was on your program a couple months ago. And I think I was, remember I said that yeah. two months ago, I was like, you yeah, know, but everyone's going to be talking about recession by the end of this year. And, and now it's like a front well, That's because you're smart. Yeah. <laughs> 42 macro. No, no, no. no. It's uh, I just wake up early and do a lot of work. Um, what so, could what but, could get the Russian economy like back to where it was without uh, with these sanctions in place? Is there anything that he can do? Stop doing dumb shit. Yeah, <laughs> stop doing it, dumb shit would be the first thing. Um, assuming they don't stop doing dumb shit, uh, <laughs> the reality is is you need to replace those customers, right? And, and to me, this is this is something that is part of the. This is something I'm, I'm not shocked by. It just it's it's so cool to see and be alive in this particular time because we're seeing the social media era and the social media itself really have an impact. Like companies even are front running the sanctions. The sanctions are a lot largely to a large degree are catching up with where a lot of these companies have moved in terms of, you know, basically cutting off Russian, um, you know, Russian demand for Russian products and and access uh, and financing to Russian entities. Like it's it's, you know, it's like a whole global movement to shun Russia and kick Russia out of the system for their bad behavior. And so, you know, to me, it's like, I, I don't know what Russia can do if, if you know, in, individuals and entities are making conscious choices at, at the micro level to say, I don't want Russian goods or services. And that, that to me is a real death, death knell. Well, I think there's a couple things too. Like, obviously, to your point, the speed of information is fascinating to see in real time when it comes to a war that's happening in 2022, right? You're literally seeing things on social media. Uh, sanctions are getting released. And, and to your point before, people are front running them and doing these different things. It's just never been like that before with the age of social media and the speed uh, and the technology that we use today to get information. So I think that's that's obviously interesting. But then the companies, to me, it almost feels like some of them are just piling on at this point, right? <laughs> like uh, the one I was looking at earlier was Nike. Nike said, we're not doing online sales anymore in Russia. And everyone's like, yeah, congratulations, like yeah. good for you. And it just turns out that all the delivery companies already removed themselves so they can't deliver products, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, all right, so if you can't deliver anything uh, that you can't do online order, it doesn't make stand, much sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, so I I think there's some of that for sure. Definitely. But, but yeah, but when it comes to uh, individual investors, right, I think a lot of people like to look at kind of what the Federal Reserve is doing, what Russia is doing, what Ukraine's doing. But personally, most people probably just care about what their finances are doing and their investments are doing. Mm -hmm. How do you recommend as someone who sits in a chair that watches all of this, how an individual thinks about these, these uh, actions and what's exactly happening? You'd be better off not having any thoughts as an individual. I mean, that's yeah. for sure. Like this is, I mean, even as professionals, we, geopolitical risk is the number one thing that we don't um, have models for and, and can't forecast, but that, that can impact markets, right? And so, you know, the, you know, typically what we, the general rule of thumb on Wall Street, and I think it's accurate, you know, most rules of thumbs are generally lead you to making money on Wall Street. General rule of thumb is, is you know, it, don't, don't invest on things that you can't have edge on. 
Yeah. This is clearly one of those things where we don't have edge on, although we're starting to get more edge, right? You can start to see where the ball is going. If, all right, we take away this many barrels of Russian crude here, you know, we take away this, you know, uh, access to financing for these Russian banks, who's got the counterparty risk, things of that nature. Although I think, you know, it seems to be that, um, you know, the, 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 the central banks in the, in the respective uh, geographies will, will take care of that stuff in terms of eliminating or mitigating counterparty risk. But you can start to see how this will play out. Um, now that we're starting to see the West response and some of the, some of the micro responses. So it's a little bit easier now, but, you know, going back a week ago or two weeks ago, it was a lot harder before we kind of knew the full spate uh, of sanctions and things of that nature. I think, I think it was you that was talking about the strategic oil reserves of the United States before. Basically. Peeing, peeing in the ocean? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> so, but oil is up over a hundred or $110 an hour or something like that. Yeah. Right. But like, and there's obviously a geopolitical aspect of this of like kind of who has oil and who doesn't. But how does this play out? Does this just keep rising? Does gas and energy and everything else get more expensive? Or like just in your mind, how do you think it happens, specifically here in the United States? Yeah, so that's what prices are designed to do, right? Particularly for commodities. You know, they're trying to, you know, nothing cures high prices like high prices in terms of, you know, perpetuating a supply response. The strategic oil reserves or any country's oil reserves are going to be inadequate to actually, you know, offset Russian crude. I want to say what was Russia, Russian crude exports are 5% of global consumption. That's an enormous number. I mean, where are you going to find 5% of global consumption, you know, overnight? There's nobody, you know, it's, it's largely rumored that OPEC, which claims to have a tremendous amount of spare capacity and could in theory turn on, you know, these, you know, their supply, um, the supply spigot. Most people I talk to that are in and around the energy space that, you know, cover energy companies, cover, you know, commodities and things of that nature, they, they would, push back against that, that, you know, OPEC is basically a line, a bunch of, line, a bunch of charlatans, basically, you yeah. know, like, yeah, like they, they don't have the spare capacity. And this is something, um, you know, uh, shout out to uh, Mackenzie Davis over at Sailing Stone out in San Francisco. Yeah, they do really good work um, in terms of understanding where, uh, you know, kind of understanding like the the geology around natural resources investing. They're, they're probably among the world's best at that. And he, he said this to me probably in 2016, where he's like, yeah, they, they've harvested all the good acreage down there. And in, in I'm going to say Texas, but I'm, I'm Permian and yeah. the Bakken and all these different, uh, uh, Bakken, you know, all these different plays, Eagle Ford. And so what they did when we, we had our energy boom in the U.S., you know, kind of like, you know, 2008 through 2014, if you will, you know, kind of just that isolating that period. We basically went there, found the easiest stuff to extract and extracted it. And now it's not that the oil doesn't exist down there in terms of our domestic production because we are the world's second or first or second largest energy producer. It's not that it doesn't exist. It's just it's way harder to get now. And so this concept that like, you know, investors have been really surprised about the lack of supply response from um, from U.S. E&Ps, energy, energy, or US uh, energy producers, upstream energy producers, and most people are saying, oh, they're just being disciplined. They want to return capital to shareholders. They want to raise the dividend. They're, they're being smart because they don't want to crash like they did back in 2015 and 2016 or you know, 2014 to 2016. I think the real analysis would suggest, no, it's just it's way harder to get these barrels out of the ground. The marginal cost for getting these barrels out of the ground is much higher. And so they need a much higher energy price so they can sustain that. And more importantly, you need the energy price to not be backwardated, right? The curve is, is backwardated, which means spot prices, today's price, is actually higher than the futures price because the, the, the market is effectively demanding and scrambling for barrels. But what you need for these guys to actually start to really turn on those drills and actually start to put more capital to work to getting those harder to extract barrels out of the ground, you need an upward sloping curve. You need the curve to be in contango and that we're not there yet. 
How do you think about, uh, I want to say Bitcoin's price specifically, but more in general, like as people who have followed Bitcoin for a long period of time, most Bitcoiners have followed a few different models, right? Uh, plan B stock to flow model. They've looked at the halving cycles and they've been able to kind of uh, determine or, or transport some prices over time. But things like this, to your point, there's no models when it comes to geopolitical conflict, totally. right? So how do you think about this when it comes to Bitcoin or other digital assets like pricing wise? Because to your point, there's there, there's no models for this. So how should how should ind- individual investors uh, think about price? Yeah, so let's, uh, I'll answer this question two ways. This because that's a that, by the way, that's a phenomenal question. The sort of first order effect, right, is kind of what we all would expect to see. It's it's digital payments, digital transaction, digital currencies will become incrementally more valuable once the world starts to realize the threat of centralized finance, right? And we've seen you know several examples of that year to date up in Canada and. And um, here, I think there's some guy who got his JP Morgan account frozen or something like that. We've seen several examples of weaponizing the financial system, right? And so if if that's the case, then, you know, what you're going to see more demand for those types of securities and those types of mediums to exchange uh, wealth. The kind of second order effect, though, it's not, you know, it's not just about what the, the price is. It's about the impact it has across investor portfolios, right? Like, you know, so if if, if you get this price lift, then you know a lot of investors have you know in my opinion if you if you're a hedge fund style investor or or, or an institutional money manager and you ha- you've had crypto exposure in your portfolio at all in the last six months you've had to take down that risk and as a function of that volatility in your portfolio you've had to take down a decent amount of risk elsewhere you know to to meet your whatever your volatility target is or your you know there's different ways that that funds do this kind of stuff you know if you see price appreciation in Bitcoin and Ethereum it can actually lessen some of that degree. But more importantly, if you actually see more price depreciation um, in something like Bitcoin Ethereum, because people are actually selling those things to get liquidity, they can actually amplify some of that VAR shock, this sort of you know, this cross-asset volatility. So um, I don't know the direct answer to the question. I don't know the directional answer to the question, but there are second and third order effects that I think everybody should be aware of. What do you think about Ukraine doing a GoFundMe for war through, through crypto? <laughs> That's a great idea. Why, why yeah. wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you take advantage of any medium available to you to give yourself an advantage? Of course. Yeah. yeah. And how about airdropping stuff to people? <laughs> that I didn't get. That was over my head. No, yeah. they, they canceled it. So, oh, so gosh, yeah. Here. I'm too old for that kind you of stuff. You might be getting an NFT if you donate. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, look, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm look, I'm so proud of, you know, the Ukrainian forces and, and you know, President Zelensky's bravery and standing up to Putin and his thuggery and nonsense. And it just... Again, they might fall, but it's it's really impressive to see what they've done thus far, and you can just tell there's a difference when you're you know you, when you're fighting for a cause versus fighting for some rich guy who who's trying to play Monopoly. Yeah, I mean Zelensky's yeah. in the middle of it, right? He's yeah. with the troops. He's on the front line. He's yeah, where the hell is city. Putin? If he, he's supposed to be a thug, but he's, he's at the end at? of the table. You saw yeah. that picture of him at the, uh, at the uh, yeah the the conference tables. You know, fifty feet long, and four people are down at one end, and he's out fifty <laughs> feet on the other side, at the head of the table, at the head of the table. Uh, like, dude, what are you? Can doing? I say this? Putin's a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can definitely say that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that Tell that, him I said it too. That, that is. He, a uh, you know the story? He stole Robert Kraft's Super Bowl ring. That sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> Kraft so basically showed it to him. He said, I like this, and then just walked away. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, Kraft. supposedly he stole his Super Damn, Bowl. Kraft, dog. You got ran off on him like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Kraft, you got to do something. I mean, he was man. like in Russia. He's like, bro, it's Putin. Yeah. yeah. He said, what you going to do? That's, well, I mean, that's, it's someone fought for going to Russia. I was told not to go to Russia 10, 12 years ago, and it seems like that was the right choice. Yeah, I don't think I'm. Uh, <laughs> by the way, I was told this by a Russian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't think I'm going to be going to Russia anytime soon. No. Either. 
Russia and China, I think, are two places off my list. Yeah, <laughs> for, yeah. It might be forever. For, for, a, decent, I, uh, for a decent while, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I tweeted about the, the Olympic food in China, uh-huh. uh, and the bots came after me. Oh, man. really? They were, yeah, they were... Oh yeah! It got like once it got to the point of like you know ten thousand likes something like that. They all started coming in. Uh, it was accounts that were literally you know on Twitter. It says made. I tweeted it in February. It was February twenty twenty two started. Yeah. Uh, no followers were following no one. Yeah. And basically they all just had these like fuck you, screw you, you know, yeah. all, all, all the normal stuff. Uh, <laughs> and we're just like, you know, you're spreading lies, propaganda, all this stuff. I, like, I don't think I'm going to China anytime soon. I'm, not gonna, no, I'm no, definitely no. on a list I'm, or something. After, yeah, definitely. Uh, after hey, I got to believe that anybody with, you know, free speech and, and free thought is on a list in China, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're, yes. they're short, they're short liberty there. Some, somewhere for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, Darius, thanks for doing this again. Yeah. Guys, if you go to, what is it, 42macro.com? Mm-hmm. 42macro.com. Com. I would say that uh, you're the best analyst on Wall Street, but you live in Miami for now. So. <laughs> I'm, neither, I'm neither the best analyst on Wall Street, nor do I live on Wall Street. We're good at what we do. You know, we, help, we, help, we help regular people um, compete against Wall Street. Yeah. Actionable really macro research. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you guys next week. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very good. Make sure everyone go checks it out. Thank you. Darius, Follow you on Twitter coming. as well. Oh, yeah. I'm at uh, Twitter at 42 Macro D Dale. Appreciate y'all. Unbelievable follow. Thanks, Darius, for coming in again. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And if you're looking to try to transition to get a new job in the Bitcoin or crypto industry, we've got you covered. Head over to pompscryptocourse.com. We've developed a curriculum with the top teams across the industry. It's a three-week intensive training program with over 50 events packed into that three-week time period. Go to pompscryptocourse.com to learn more and I'll meet you guys for the next episode.